Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. This season of Freelance Writing Coach is sponsored by Kat Bogard, a fellow freelance writer who provides helpful advice and resources for creative freelancers. We both know Kat personally, and if you're struggling to pitch stories and land freelance writing clients, Kat's Pitch Pack takes the guesswork out of formatting those nerve-wracking emails. The pack includes eight pitch email scripts for a variety of scenarios, completed samples for each template, and some helpful tips to write pitches that get responses. For more about Kat and to purchase your own pitch pack, visit katbogard.com slash pitch pack. That's K-A-T-B-O-O-G-A-A-R-D slash pitch dash pack. Tell them Kaylee and Emma sent you. In today's episode, we're going to talk about revisions and what happens when we are dealing with edits, feedback, clients who think they're writers, too many cooks in the kitchen, because this is a problem that comes up for freelance writers. We have turned in something that we think we are really proud of, we think meets all the goals that the client has, and then things start to go awry and we're stuck in a revision cycle that we don't know how we got in and it never gets out the door and it's never finished and the ball starts to roll down the hill and it's wild. So Kaylee, I am curious from you how you think about revisions. So first of all, when you are offering your services to a client, like where do revisions fit in? Yeah. So I build in one round of edits with every piece of content that I create. And I also give them the outline to approve before I get into a first draft, which is the goal of that is to get rid of the rounds and round of edits that sometimes happen when there's not a lot of clarity from the jump off. So that for me has helped save a lot of time and energy as far as making sure that we're just aligned and clear on where we're headed with the piece before I get too far in. So that's been really helpful. The other thing too, is I think it's very important to have some ground rules for the editing process. So I always make it really clear that I work with one single point of contact, not a team, because that is a disaster. So I tell them, okay, if you guys have an internal team where you want to confer and talk about this as a group and then come back to me and the point person and I can go over the group notes, that's fine. But I'm not going to have 42 people in a Google Doc and addressing all of their comments because that's chaos. Is that something that you say to your clients like in a call or is it, how do you get that information across to them? So it's part of my onboarding email that I send just as part of my process. I make a point to say that because I have had people come back and say, okay, well, we'd love to get you on the phone with five of our team members to go over our vision for this. And I'm like, "Mm, pump the brakes. I work with a single point of contact. And the reason for that is X. It helps me work better. It'll help me be more efficient. It'll help add clarity to the project. And again, just like encouraging the client to lean on my expertise as far as what works well, because that's part of the reason they're hiring me is to get that type of feedback, right? To say, this is what works. This is what I know works well. So that's just laid out right from the bat. So The other thing too is I learned this from Paul Jarvis is creating a feedback document. So good feedback versus bad feedback. What does that look like? And it's really just a one page PDF that spells out, here's what I need from you when it comes to edits. This is good feedback. Tell me if you don't like this phrase or this word, tell me why. If you feel like something's unclear, 
you know, poke holes in my outline and do it that way. What's not helpful are things like, "Mm, this word isn't a good fit for our brand. That's really ambiguous. That is not a helpful note to me as a writer because I don't know what you mean by that. So a lot of it has to do with asking questions. I'm going to ask a lot of questions as part of this process and just being clear about that up front. This is really interesting because I feel like this isn't something that I have really well documented in terms of like having a feedback doc or even telling people we work with a single point of contact and that's it. But when you say it, I'm like, oh, I do those things, but I don't have them documented, I think, after years and years of learning. So I'm glad that we're having this conversation because it's making me think like, oh, how do I deal with revisions? One thing, this is this made me think of it when you said, oh, this isn't a good word for our brand. If you get that comment in a Google Doc, what immediately jumped in my head is I would ask directly in that Google Doc, what is a good word for your brand and why is this not a good word, right? Like I would literally just ask that question right in the Google Doc. It's interesting because case studies can be kind of complicated with revisions because you need to get the client to yes it, but then you often need to get the client's customer to yes it. And so I have developed some strategies that I share with my clients of like, here's how we are not going to let edits get out of control. So when we share it with a client's customer, we only share a view-only document. We don't give them editing access. I feel like I don't need that with my own clients because I've kind of trained them so that they can edit if they need to. I don't have any issue with that, but I give it to them as a view-only document, the client's customer, and allow them to say, like, let us know how this looks if you need to make any changes. And that encourages them to say, like, oh, this sentence isn't quite right. Right. I work with an agency and the strategy that they use to get around this, and I'm not sure I would recommend this, but it is interesting, is that they put everything into layout, and I'm putting layout in quotes as I talk, because what they mean by that is they put it into design. And I don't have you know, a designer that I'm always working with on these things, but the agency's kind of idea is once a client sees this designed they see that it's almost done and it's almost crossed the finish line. I think the agency maybe allows two to three rounds of revisions more than I do. I only offer one. But once they've done one round of the copy, they're like, we're not going to go back and forth on this. Let's get this into design so they can see it. And it sort of stops the process a little bit, right? Because they might want to change a word or two or a sentence or something, but they're not going in deep and trying to, you know, you know how people can get in a Google Doc, right? <laughs> it's it's anybody's it's anybody's like editing nightmare to get in there and just see red everywhere, right? But I think that that's really clever because you could do that with website copy as well. If you have it wireframed, it's going to have the same effect. Yeah, yeah. You can send PDFs instead of, and and you know, I, I don't always do that because a lot of times I want the client's feedback, and that kind of brings me to my next question here, which is, you know, what if a client gives you negative feedback? And how do you deal with that? I mean, I hate when a client gives me negative feedback because even if I feel like I've worked really hard and I've done my best, I get that feedback and I'm like, well, that means I haven't worked hard enough and I haven't really done my best. Or like, how could I miss this? And, you know, as the years have gone on, I get negative feedback less and less frequently, I would say. I mean, it's not like I'm under a deluge of negative feedback, but you know, how do you handle it when you get that negative feedback? Or like, what are some examples of negative feedback you've gotten? And how do you deal with it? 
I think I, and probably most writers, are like very personally tied to anything that they write. So anytime you go in and you see all this red or you see some comments that like, oh, this didn't quite hit the mark, like it feels like a gut punch, right? It feels very personal. So I've had to really separate myself and just go into those knowing and reminding myself that we're working towards the common goal of the best possible outcome. And they're not out to like poke me in the shoulder and say, Hey, this isn't good enough. It's, you know, we're trying to make the best possible thing here. So it's not a personal attack. It's business. Yeah. And actually you and I have talked about this before that the way you become a better writer is by working with really, really awesome editors. And I know that for me, when I've worked with someone who is really talented and they're revising my work, it's helped me become a better writer. And so it's easy to shut down, like you said, when you see all of that red, but the best clients or the best editors will help you become better, become better at what you do. But what about when you have edits that you really don't agree with? Because I think this happens too, that sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, I wrote this great thing and the client ruined it. I mean, I'm not afraid to push back if I feel like my experience or my expertise tells me that what I've put in there is for a good reason. So I'm happy to explain that. I would always rather explain why I made a choice than just scrap it for no reason, just because the client didn't really fully see the thought behind that choice. But I think also it's a matter of, I don't know, I think it's kind of about the frame of mind that you go into the editing phase with. So for example, earlier this week, just this week, I had a document open and I had just got edits back from an editor. And one of the comments was, this is getting old. It was a comment left on a sentence. And so I guess I was particularly defensive that day because I was like, it's getting old that you have to keep making this comment. That's how I interpreted it. But what they were referencing was a stat that was too old to reference. And oh, so, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's. I think it does matter what frame of mind you go into editing with. Yeah, because it's like, how open are you? And it does take some practice to be more and more open. And I think to sort of divorce yourself from what it is, like because you feel so tied to it. But then the more that you're like, hey, I'm just presenting you with something. That's how I kind of say it now with many of my clients. So first of all, I include them in the process much more than I used to. So you talked about the outline. So I, in fact, purposely show them a messy outline. So I show them the headlines, but I'll show them like sort of ugly bullets and whatever. And I'll say, hey, I just want you to see where my brain is right now does this all make sense to you? Obviously the sentences are going to look great and we read crystal clear when we're done, but like, am I even in the right direction? And they're like, yeah, yeah, this looks great usually. Or maybe they're like, this section isn't, but then they sort of feel part of the process and they're not surprised. And then when I do turn in a draft, one thing that I've recently started doing more of is using the Google Doc comments throughout to share when I was unsure or I want more information or I just share a little bit of context about why I made the choices that I did. So like if there's a headline, I might say something like, I chose this headline because X, Y, and Z and blah, 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 blah. And then that way I'm like a little bit more of like a consultant than just sort of a writer that turns over a doc or like I might add need an example from you here couldn't make one up myself, right? And so that they know what's going on in my brain as I wrote, but they also know what my expectations are of them. And then it's like a more collaborative writing process. And it's less about, sometimes I even write like, not sure about this sentence. Would you reword this? 
And it's like, I'm not trying to say I'm the writer and I'm the end all be all. I'm making it more about like, how do we together work to create the best possible piece, which you mentioned earlier. But I think if you as the writer come into it with that mindset of like, I don't always have to be sure that this sentence is perfect. And if I'm not sure, I can just ask, right? Because the beauty is that you have another person to rely on, actually. So what about when you have a client who thinks that they know better than you do, thinks that they're like writer extraordinaire, but the way you see it through your lens is they're actually kind of shitty. What do you do then? You know, over the years, I have fewer and fewer clients that are like that. And I don't know if it's a matter of me self-selecting those people out and saying you're not going to be a good fit, or maybe it's the kind of work that I'm doing now where I feel most of the clients that are hiring me because they really don't feel that way, that they don't really want to get in there. So maybe that's not a good answer because I just feel like I'm not encountering that very much these days. I did encounter it in the past. And to be honest, I would explain my position. I would say, look, I know you changed the sentence, but here's why I had the sentence that way. And then you kind of have to get over it because ultimately they're the client. What about you? Do you see more of this with all the blog writing that you do and somebody has blog ownership and they feel really strongly about how you've done things? I see it less and less these days Also, I think you're right in that it's part of the screening process and that if the client isn't really wanting to hire me based on my skill set and expertise, like they're going to push back a lot more. And that's where you get those instances of misalignment, I think. So I think that the few times that I do encounter this, it is a matter of communication. So just making sure that they understand, like you said, why you made the choice that you did and having that conversation rather than just letting everything live in the comments of the Google Doc. I think it's sometimes helpful to get on the phone or, you know, have an email conversation where you add clarity to the back and forth rather than just leaving it there. Yeah, I think getting on the phone is an important part of it too, is that sometimes like if I get unclear feedback and I just don't know what to do with it, I say like, hey, I don't really understand this. Can we hop on the phone? And then I have an opportunity to answer questions. They have an opportunity to explain things to me. That is a good tool to use if you find yourself stuck or frustrated because oftentimes like a a 10-minute phone call can kind of solve the issues and tease it out. Yeah. And I, I think that that is something that clients appreciate a lot too, is a willingness to communicate openness as far as, you know, we're working on this together. We're collaborating as partners. This isn't just you hand it off to me and that's it. It's sometimes a little bit more involved than that. And so it's still not easy sometimes to navigate that process. But I think as long as you're keeping the lines of communication open, that that clears a lot up and it makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. And I think, again, being clear from the beginning about what the scope of the work is. So one thing that I say is I offer one round of revisions, but it's one round of revisions. There are no rewrites. And that is something that actually my attorney recommended. And what she meant was she was like, you don't want a client to say, this is horrible, revise the whole thing, right? Like scrap it and write something else. So, I mean, there's some legal language about how she defined a rewrite versus a revision, but a rewrite was basically like a rewrite, like a rewrite of the entire thing, like burn it all down, control, alt, select, or whatever, whatever the command is, select (laughs) all, and then delete, 
you know, that's out of scope. It's fine if someone says this paragraph doesn't hit the mark or we need more examples here. But when someone totally is like, you need to rewrite this whole thing, you kind of want to put your foot down and say like, that's, that's, that's not going to happen, right? Like I already did the work here that was asked for. I do think I'm surprised coming up in this conversation is the fact that if you have successfully vetted your clients from the beginning, these issues don't come up as much. The other thing I'll add to this is I think a writing brief is really, really critical at making sure all the details about the project are spelled out and crystal clear right from the start of the project. So if you don't have a creative brief or a writing brief, project brief, whatever you want to call it, there's a lot of guesswork happening. So you really need to have a documented strategy where it's a point of contact that both you and your client can refer back to and say, this is what we're doing. This is what the specifics look like. This is our goal. This is who we're writing for. Having all of that written down is a huge time saver. Have you found that to be true? Yes and no. I mean, I think with the type of work that I'm doing, a lot of those strategic decisions are happening in conversations that I'm having and I do document it all. but. I don't necessarily feel like a writing brief is super important unless I'm working with subcontractors. And then I'm like, okay, they need to know because they're just executing on the writing. But as my business has grown, it's less and less about just sort of doing a piece of writing and more about like for a web copy project, it's like I'm the one who's responsible for creating. I wouldn't call it a writing brief. I would call it a strategic plan. And I think they're actually different things. But I mean, yeah, I think that you still need to, whatever you're writing, whatever the project, there needs to be some kind of shared uh, understanding of what the project is. And that does need to be documented in some way. That's what I would say. Sometimes I see clients go really overboard with a writing brief, like a project spec, and it's a red flag to me. Have you seen that? So I have seen just very rarely some clients who really It's not because they are trying to tell me how to do my work. It's that they want to provide as much detail and context as possible. And I do appreciate that. I I think that that's helpful. I think it's important, though, that they understand I'll use what I can out of that, but I'm still ultimately like going to follow my own process, use my own workflow, things like that. So yeah, it depends. It's interesting because I have had some clients, I really feel that it's a red flag that they get in touch with me and they're like, we want you know, an ebook and we want it to be this. And then the doc that they've sent me about that ebook is as long as I think the ebook is going (laughs) to wind up being. And that starts to be like concerning to me. Not that I wouldn't work with them, but I'd say like, okay, there's a lot of info here. We need to really get clear on our priorities. Like it may not be realistic to include all of these quotes that you have here and there. Like, let's talk about it a little bit, right? I mean, so much of the issues around revision and scoping and stuff can be solved with good communication, often written communication. Yes, I agree. And I feel like Sometimes the easiest way, like you said, is either to get on the phone or to have them do an asynchronous video brain dump where they just tell you, here's what we're going for. You don't have to be on a Zoom call. You don't have to schedule time out of your day. But I think that's good for project updates too for on your end of the equation as the writer. Like, hey, here's where I'm at. Here's why I've made some of the decisions I've made. Here's what's left to do. That I think is a really clever way. And it's really helpful too. I don't see a lot of freelance writers do this, but to keep the client in the loop and to help them feel like part of the process more along the way as you're executing the project. 
Yeah, absolutely. Although, you know, what, I've had some people I've hired, not copywriters, but like freelance designers and web developers, and they do those video thing. And I'm like, I maybe it's the best way to get the information across, but like, I don't want to watch it. Like, couldn't this have been bullets in an email? Because I feel like in a way, a video isn't respectful of my time as the client. It's weird. That's just like a personal thing, maybe. Yeah, it's just a personal medium preference. And that's a good question to ask, too. Like, how do you want me to deliver updates? Do you want written bullet point summaries? Do you want me to do a video brain dump? Do you want an audio recording? Like, ask that question, because that's another value add for the client. If you can deliver updates in their preferred format, like, ask the question. Yeah, this makes me think, Kaylee, that we should do an episode on client red flags, because as I'm thinking about the revision process... I think we had a listener ask us like, how do you deal with unclear revisions or how do you deal with, you know, a runaway client or someone who's horrible and they don't know what they want. And what happens is that oftentimes if you haven't vetted them, it's the revision process where that comes out because you've turned in the piece of work, you've sort of gotten over the hurdle of understanding what they want. And then you've turned in the piece of work and then they don't like it. And they might be someone who's never going to like it. And that's when you have a nightmare client. And that isn't because of a bad revision process. That's maybe because of poor expectations set at the beginning or a client who is never going to be a good fit for various reasons. So it makes me think we should have an episode about vetting clients and looking out for red flags. That's a good idea. So I don't know, but I I don't, it is something that I would be curious from our listeners if they are coming on clients that are giving them heaps and heaps of negative feedback and asking for revisions. I'm curious about what everybody else's perspective is on this. Me too. So definitely reach out on Twitter or if you are listening and you want to send us an email and share your two cents, we would love to hear from you. So please feel free to do that. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Freelance Writing Coach Podcast. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit freelancewritingcoachpodcast.com.